Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good morning, folks. We've got a great show lined up for you today. We'll visit with Guy Williams, president, Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. We'll talk about the jobs report. We'll talk about the insurance cost problem here. It's not just in Louisiana, but across the country. The short window to approve government funding and why you should not save points, frequent flyer miles, and gift cards. And we'll talk about a number of other issues impacting the economy, uh, not only here in the state of Louisiana, but around the country as well. In the 11 o'clock hour, we'll visit with Michael Heck, president and CEO of GNO Inc., uh, we'll talk about a number of issues uh, that affect uh, the economy in and around the city of New Orleans. But we're also going to visit with the CEO of Gulf Wind Technology. And uh, he's a company that's received one of the first leases. We'll talk about what that means and where they go forward just right there uh, off the coast of Jefferson Parish, uh, Lafouche Parish. Uh, um, and uh, we look forward to finding out more uh, about what this uh, company is doing. We are going to visit with Mary Olson, Tulane economist and healthcare policy expert. Recently, the Food and Drug Administration announced that they will allow Florida to import millions of dollars worth of medications from Canada at far lower prices than they can purchase same in the United States. There's a fierce, decades-long objection to this. The pharmaceutical industry is opposed to it. The lines have been drawn. It's going to be interesting to see where this falls out, and we'll talk about the implications of same with uh, Mary Olson. Joining us now, newly elected John Fleming, Dr. John Fleming, treasurer for the great state of Louisiana, and is, um, joins us. Uh, Doc, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Norman. Uh, great to be with you this morning. So, uh, John, congratulations on your election. Happy New Year to you. Um, I was joking about the governor moving the inaugural uh, address and uh, and everyone being sworn in from Monday to, to Sunday. He was batting a thousand on decisions because, as it turns out, it was a wise choice. Yeah, definitely, because uh, we did get quite a bit of rain on Monday, as expected. Not as bad as what we had feared. Uh, but, yeah, it was a beautiful ceremony uh, for those who may have been there or seen it on TV it started out, of course, in daylight. We had the F-35 um, uh, uh, flyover, and uh, then uh, we had uh, it turned dark, of course, as the sun went down, and we had a fireworks display. So uh, it was really an awesome event. Absolutely. It was something that you don't typically see at an inauguration, fireworks, and it was really beautiful getting to see that over the river and watching the sunset 
in in the West. It was really uh, a, a nice touch, and as one of the commentators said, it was very cinematic, uh, and I think that is an appropriate description of same. Uh, you come into office, uh, there is roughly a um, couple of billion, if not $3 billion of uh, fund balance surplus, however you want to refer to it. I know that your primary uh, obligation is the steward of the finances of the state of Louisiana. What do you see as your biggest challenge coming in? Well, of course, uh, the treasurer has no direct authority over the budget itself, uh, that's purely the governor and the legislature. But, um, you know, th- this state, uh, as you well know, as everyone knows, has really in many senses been in a state of decline for years. Our infrastructure is in poor shape. Uh, we've lost company after company. Uh, jo- good jobs are moving out of the state. So I, th- I think uh, for the state itself, the biggest challenge is how we bring companies, commerce, jobs back, and how we take down the barriers that are preventing those. Uh, we're losing population, which is very unique, not only in the country, but actually uh, in the southeast. Every state around us is growing population while we're losing it. And as you know, we've lost two congressional districts in modern times because of population loss. And we're in danger of losing another one in seven years if we don't turn this around. You know, oftentimes when I speak, I ask the audience, how many know young adults who have left the state for opportunities elsewhere, typically Texas? And just about every hand goes up every time. Uh, So a lot needs to be done. uh, But I see the challenges not just to be budgetary, but actually to be how we grow our budget, our economy, and our our jobs in the state of Louisiana. It's interesting that you talk about population loss. I was uh, reading a um, publication the other day that addressed the 10 fastest declining cities in the United States. Louisiana had two cities in that top 10. Number two of the fastest declining was New Orleans, and number 10 was Baton Rouge the two largest cities that we have in the state of Louisiana, which is telling. Well, definitely. I mean, look, uh, New Orleans is the marquee city of our state. I mean, it's the big attraction from around the world, and it's sad what has happened. Uh, People are afraid to go to New Orleans uh, either to live or um, to visit uh, because of the high rate of crime there. And so uh, we've got, in fact, you know, I'm from a little town in North Louisiana, Minden, but whenever someone asks me, well, where's Minden? Is it an outskirts of New Orleans? And I say, well, no, it's not. But that's how New Orleans-centric the world thinks of Louisiana. And so it's incumbent upon us to rebuild, to build back up the, the fantastic reputation of the premier uh, really destination of the world for people to visit with all the history and the World War II Museum, as you know, is a huge attraction. The many things that go with it, but we have got to get our crime cleaned up there and, again, bring back some of those Fortune 500 companies that we've lost in recent years. What specifically do you 
feel that your office can bring to the table to address what you just outlined about a shrinking population, trying to grow a more robust economy, kind of think differently? I mean, you're the steward of the funds, right? You invest the funds. You sit on yeah. as chairman, if my memory serves me correct, of the Louisiana State Bond Commission, um, you know, in that role. Any other uh, roles that you you think that you play and what can you bring to the table? Well, um, yes, uh, a lot of the current legislature, as well as the governor, I've been friends with these folks for many years. I know them well. We're very like-minded in how we want to approach the economy. And so while, again, I may not have certain statutory authorities, hopefully I can influence them uh, to look inside the budget and see how we can make the budget work for the country, uh, particularly the state of Louisiana, of course. And um, so we plan to, to really have a very outward-facing department and one that connects closely with the legislature and the uh, governor. And where, where I would like to go is let's find out the best practices. What states around us, what have they done to reduce the burdens on businesses so that businesses flourish, and why can't we implement some of the good things they've done? Uh, I'm told by many companies, and, and I own companies myself, have for many years in Louisiana, that there's just certain tax burdens and regulation burdens that need to be removed in order to uh, attract more companies and grow companies here. And um, so I want to compare notes uh, with, with these good folks and let them uh, begin by pulling down some of the unnecessary taxes and perhaps replacing them with other sources of revenue that are going to be uh, sort of growth-minded. And, you know, uh, more and more states are going to a no personal income tax status, and I think that's something that Louisiana needs to look at as well. We've heard this same discussion, though, points – administration after administration after administration and uh, we seem to never really come to grips with it i mean we also happen to be a state that offers somewhere in the neighborhood of five to six billion dollars in tax exemptions for all kinds of things some tax exemptions going back to the to the late 1950s um you know, and it, I've always said that there needs to be a balance. What you just described was a balanced approach, but we never get there. Uh, special interest group, right. other influencers kind of moving the needle. Things get bogged down. You know the legislative process better than I do. Things get bogged down in the legislative process, and we never seem to come out uh, of that being able to really move the needle. That's true, and what what we have is we have preferential tax treatment, which kind of creates a checkerboard of uh, benefits for some but burdens for others. And what we need is something that's much more uniform and across the board, and that's really uh, puts us in a growth mode. Uh, I often give the example of the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act brought by President Trump, and uh, the studies have been completed now, and they show that with those tax cuts across the board, uh, it's generated far more revenue than what we were receiving uh, under the previous uh, tax structure. So we, I think we need something similar to that, a reform of our tax system and regulations 
that uh, are going to be across the board and not just a patchwork of preferential treatment for certain special interests. I think that's been a serious problem for our state for many years. Um, the governor has called a special session, uh, obviously redistricting that. Um, I know that, you know, you've uh, had your eye on that uh, before and, and as you're in serving in your previous role, serving in Congress and otherwise. Um, I was kind of surprised that the call was a lot more robust and wide ranging uh, than what I anticipated it to be. Your thoughts on that? Uh, uh, the the uh, the call. What what are you referring to, Foreman? The governor's call for the special session on redistricting. He, there's a number of other things in there: campaign finance, uh, closed primary system, a lot of other issues separate and apart right. from just redistricting. For sure. you know, under the court mandated for Congress, also included right. the Supreme Court. Uh, and right. that special session, as you well know, because um, you're intimately aware of the process, is not that long. <laughs> it seems to yes. be a, a lot on the table, a lot to chew on, and not really a lot of time right. for the public to render an opinion as to where they stand on some of these issues. Right. Well, I think there are two things going on simultaneously, Norman. One is, as you know, the, the court mandate that we uh, redo our map. Uh, that really goes back to 2020 and 2021 based on a case that involved Alabama uh, uh, demanding that there be more than one in their case, and, and that would apply to us too, uh, minority-majority district, congressional districts. And that has to be addressed immediately. Otherwise, we'll have a, a judge someplace who will actually draw the map for us. So that's that's an emergency that we've got to take care of. But number two is there are a lot of reforms that have stacked up in in the uh, opinion of many of us Republicans, conservative Republicans, during the previous administration that just never got through. And now we have the ability to push them through. So I, I think that we have two reasons to have a special session, and I would expect that this one will be extended. Um and if not extended, that we'll have a, another one very soon afterwards. So uh, there's a lot that's going to happen, I would say, in my opinion, in the next six months when it comes to legislation that's going to be passed. Much of it has been bottled up, pent up for years that we desperately needed as a state that you're going to be seeing uh, coming through very rapidly. But, but again, uh, just to reiterate, We've got to fix our map. We've got to somehow uh, meet the expectations and requirements of the uh, Supreme Court, uh, who's weighed in on this uh, very important issue. Yeah. What types of reforms would you be referring to? Well, <clears throat> economic reforms. I, th I think the two biggest problems facing the state right now is the loss of commerce, which has resulted in the loss of jobs, which has resulted in the loss of population. I think that's job one, but close to it and maybe at the same level is is um, is fighting crime. We need to get, uh, you know, the murder rates and the theft rates and, the, uh, you know, the carjackings and all of that stuff down to a level that it once was that was uh, uh, that that the public felt reasonably safe. But uh, right now, 
uh, particularly in our major cities like New Orleans and Shreveport and Baton Rouge, uh, people oftentimes don't feel safe and they're ready to leave, pack up and go someplace else where they do feel safe. So those are our two areas of, of, of course, major, major reform that we need. There's some issues with education. I won't can I ask you a, a yeah. Can I ask you a question on that? Do you think there's the appetite in the legislature to appropriate the dollars necessary to do so? You know, I served 40 years in law enforcement, and it's easy to talk about criminal justice reform and, you know, or if you want to have truth in sentencing, longer sentences, whatever. Um, but but flip side is, is you got to fund it. you got to finance it. you got to build more jail space. you got to build more appropriate type of jail space. And then you got to man it. And in today's climate, that's really, really difficult. In fact, um, the Police Executive Research Forum just released a study that all of these enhancements going up to $75,000 signing bonuses, increased salaries, some as high as six-figure salaries for starting officers, hasn't really moved the needle uh, in, in hiring yeah. people. Um, well, I, so, I mean, you know, it's, in, 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 you know, the philosophically I, I'm, I'm, I'm aligned with you, but I just don't, I'm not hearing much as to how we're going to operationally care that carry this out and how do we get to a successful conclusion? Right. Well, um, while I, uh, in strong support of adequately providing compensation and benefits to our law enforcement officers and having a robust team. I don't see that as the problem. I see the problem is district attorneys uh, who are unwilling to enforce the law. And I also see the problem as uh, mayors who cut the budgets and so forth, even when there's money to do it. So uh, I think the problem is, is above the law enforcement level. I think officers across the country, and of course, L.A. and San Francisco are two excellent examples of this, but I think we see this in Louisiana as well, is when you're passing laws that, in essence, legalizes theft and stealing, uh, that takes away enforcement powers by uh, law enforcement, then you're just simply going to have more crime. And so I don't see officer pay as the main issue here, although it is an issue and should be addressed. I don't see that as the main problem, personally. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how this ultimately uh, plays out. I mean, I, you know, I, and I say this all the time, and I know that you would appreciate it. You've been around a long time. You campaign in poetry and you govern in prose, and it's it's a lot harder to kind of move the needle operationally and from a policy perspective um, than otherwise. Um, you know, and it it was the same fallacy and downfall of criminal justice reform where we were going to take savings and we were going to do and fund and finance alternatives to incarceration but we never were able to connect those dots and we don't we haven't achieved any evidence-based outcomes that we can judge the effectiveness and efficacy of many of these programs and, and well I, you a, know a, my, again my, my opinion is on criminal justice reform and I know President Trump, who I worked for for four years, was a supporter of some level of criminal justice reform. But ultimately, study after study shows that um, the softer you are on crime, the more crime you're going to have. There's a, a direct relationship with that. 
And uh, what I do support is that people who may have drug problems, drug addiction problems, or or other problems, we offer them, uh, you know, ways of rehabilitation. But if they don't pursue it, then, you know, there's always, of course, incarceration available for that. But I think we've reached a state uh, across the country, hopefully not so much in the South uh, currently, but across the country, and especially in California, that we just simply give up on people that once they have drug addiction problems or uh, they have, uh, you know, some sort of severe mental illness, we just allow them to, to, to live on the street and do nothing for them. Um, we really should, I think, be much more involved with our citizens who are in trouble, up to and including those who commit crimes, need to be incarcerated and they need to be punished and in the process rehabilitated. And somehow as a country, we, uh, we've gone from criminal justice reform to just simply giving up on humans. Yeah. And that's something I think we need to revisit. Point well taken. I uh, really appreciate you joining us, John Fleming. Uh, congratulations on your election as treasurer of the state of Louisiana. And look forward to talking to you in the future as well. Thanks so much, Norm. Appreciate you, my friends. All righty. That's uh, John Fleming, state treasurer for the state of Louisiana. We'll be right back, folks. Welcome back, folks. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So the state of Florida petitioned the Food and Drug Administration to allow them to import millions of dollars worth of medications from Canada because they recognize that they can get them at far lower prices. And it seems as though they have the public support. A 2019 poll by the Kaiser Family Foundation, a nonprofit health research group, found that 80% of respondents favored importation from licensed Canadian pharmacies. The uh, FDA has really kind of resisted this on many fronts, and Florida was able to achieve it only as a as a result of the court saying that they had to approve 
this application because they had delayed and delayed and delayed for far too long. The real question is, is, is there the capacity in Canada to really supply uh, the United States? The state of Florida is a little bit more than half uh, the size of the entire country of Canada. Here to talk to us about all of these issues, Mary Olson, Tulane economist and healthcare policy expert. Mary, welcome to the show. Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, this obviously is a very popular issue amongst folks. I know many anecdotal stories of patients who uh, could buy drugs from Canada for about 25% of the cost of what it would be here in the United, Sp- United States, especially those drugs that are not on someone's uh, pharmacy list or uh, approved list of medications with their insurance companies or otherwise. Where does this go from here? It seems as though uh, Florida breaks the glass ceiling and a number of other states are lined up behind them. You're, you are correct that it's, a, it's certainly a popular idea with patients who are kind of frustrated with high drug prices and the increases we've seen over time and kind of a lack of a lack of ability of policy to try to curb that. And so the prospect of getting cheap drugs from Canada is, you know, has overwhelming support. But in terms of what, you know, Florida's been able to do, which is, you know, kind of very positive for them in terms of trying to seek out solutions uh, to this important problem, you know, it does face a lot of challenges in terms of the actual implementation. So what would be some of the headwinds for them? Well, for one, Canada's against it, so they are certainly not crazy <laughs> about, uh, you know. Uh, the that's a pretty big itself. one, right? Yeah, that's a pretty big <laughs> yeah. one. Canada's against it. Because if, if, if drugs are leaving their country, uh, you know, that means they might face shortages. It also might mean that they might ultimately face higher drug prices themselves. Um, as as firms are also against this idea and would not be happy with uh, wholesalers in Canada selling drugs to the U.S. At, at much cheaper prices than what they could get if they sold them in the U.S. directly. And in fact, Canada has already passed uh, protectionist legislation there, and I think they even have some on the table now that's being considered as well, right? Yeah, they they passed uh, uh, you know kind of a, just an initial uh, piece of legislation that said that uh, the, the 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 sale to the U.S. could not go through if it would cause a shortage of the drug in Canada, and so it's kind of a weak piece of legislation. But you can imagine as the pressure and the demand increases from the U.S. that that they might respond with uh, with stricter legislation or even ultimately. Uh, think about removing the, you know, kind of the wholesaler from the approved list in Canada, uh, which is something that the FDA requires for this program to work. So, uh, uh, and the next step, though, is going to be what here? I mean, we hear a lot about the pharmacy benefit managers, kind of this I guess, legalized monopoly and the way that this works and, and their assessment of supply, demand, trying to create enough, uh, I guess, economic oomph to uh, be able to fund and finance R&D. Um, is there a happy medium that we can reach here? Well, it's been challenging over time. Um, and, you know, the main reason is that uh, drug firms 
don't face a lot of competition, and they are able to set prices that well exceed kind of uh, the costs of producing those drugs. And, and you know, for those reasons, it, it's been challenging uh, for a place like the U.S., which has different kinds of insurance systems, right? Private insurance cover most of the working age people, and private insurers have been responsible for, for dealing with these drug companies, right, to be able to get the drugs they need to supply the people who they insure. And that's where the PBMs came in, is that that task became overwhelming, for the insurance company. And so they contracted out to more specialist organizations, these pharmacy benefit benefit managers, which which conduct that function. So they are the ones that directly negotiate with the pharmaceutical firms to get good prices um, and secure kind of rebates uh, for the delivery of those benefits to whatever insurance plan they are working with. And so, uh, you know, that's been the way that we've you know, that, that the insurance company has been able to try to contain drug spending over time is relying on these PBMs to use their kind of leverage in the market, their bargaining clout, to secure some kind of a discount, right? And But hasn't that really contributed to the frustration? Because that brings about a situation where you have a di- very dynamic formulary, right? So it behooves the insurance company to go with the drug, which is the one that they can get the bet that the PBMs can get the best deal on and put that on their formulary. People get uh, acclimated to that other medication and they find that every year their medications are changing. Some they do very very well on others. They don't, they don't do very well on. And it seems as though, I mean, that seems to be one of the major contributors to consumer frustration. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Uh, consumers can be increasingly frustrated with the complexity, really, of this issue because one of the ways that the PBMs use to, you know, get discounts is to promise kind of more um, advantageous placement on the formulary, right? So that more people will will be taking the drug, and they, if they are able to, you know, kind of promise that, they are able to secure a bigger discount. But what you said is correct, right? So every time these contracts are renegotiated, there might be changes, and that can frustrate upset consumers. And the other, you know, kind of the other aspect about this that is frustrating uh, to consumers that even the insurance industry to some extent is, you know, that process is not really transparent uh, about, you know, what, what is negotiated, what these rebates are, uh, you know, what all these deals are and how, how it works out um, uh, to affect the bottom line. And so that, that lack of transparency has generated a lot of, you know, scrutiny and, and criticism uh, by policymakers as well. I have really, uh, started to see more direct marketing from the producers of uh, the drug manufacturers themselves to the consumers. Is that as a result of this level of frustration that's out there? And in fact, you know, there's big uh, enormous and other and others that are being offered directly from the drug manufacturer. Uh, it, you know, that's been evolving over time. I mean, that, uh, I think prior to 1997, drug firms weren't allowed to directly advertise to to the consumer. They mainly focus their efforts on, you know, on physicians and and marketing to them, detailing efforts. But after 1997, there were some policy changes made that allowed firms to run these ads. In fact, I heard one just waiting for you. (laughs) You you see them everywhere. They're in Super Bowl. I mean, there's so many of these drug ads. 
And, um, you know, that is that is also kind of a controversial practice. That's not done everywhere. Um, and some people believe that that, you know, I, I mean, it might have some positive aspects in terms of alerting people about new medicines. It might have some negative aspects in terms of leading to higher costs uh, for, for those drugs and, and consumers being kind of insistent on getting, you know, one brand name over something that might be cheaper. Um, so it's, it's kind of a controversial practice, but it certainly adds to cost. And, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's something that it is contributing uh, really to the to the desire to have these high drug prices from firms. So if Florida achieves success, and obviously the pharmaceutical industry is going to attack this from many different fronts, does, does, could this potentially end up uh, as a constitutional in, issue of interstate commerce or any number of, uh, of other impediments that they try to place here? I don't see it as I mean policymakers have have created this path right I think the initial legislation mm-hmm. was all the way back in 2003 under the Bush administration and you know no one has kind of followed this path since that time and then things began to change in 1919 and the FDA actually created a rule where states or other entities could you know apply for this program to be able to import these drugs and then just, you know, as soon as that rule was, was finalized, several states jumped on the bandwagon, and Florida has been the first one to get it. So I don't see it as a constitutional issue. I see it more as, you know, an issue that's going to be shut down uh, from, from either, you know, the, the side where uh, these drugs are, you know, coming from, Canada, or, um, or, or, or kind of the industry arguing that, specific elements of the program can't possibly be satisfied, you know, that you can guarantee that these drugs are safe or um, that the, uh, the state has, has fulfilled all the requirements that are listed in this, um, you know, in, in this, in this rule. Uh, The other challenge I see with respect to um, the, the program is that, you know, Canada is, as you said, is roughly, you know, 40 million people. uh, And, we're just so much bigger. There's no way yeah. that they can, you know, supply our country with drugs to, to solve these problems. And the program in Florida is not targeted broadly at, you know, at all people with private insurance. It, it is a relatively small program, but still, right. um, you know, if it starts in one state and 10 other states jump on the bandwagon, I mean, that's going to escalate pretty quickly. And so, you know, just relying on Canada is not, is not a feasible option. So, you know, the has, program would need to has, be expanded. Has the federal government kind of contributed to this momentum, though, and opening up this thought process of Medicaid and Medicare negotiating with pharmaceutical companies for lower pharmacy prices? I mean, that was prohibited before, right? And um, they, have yeah, ten, under, they have 10 drugs on the list now. Uh, okay, a lot yeah, of people you're think that it's Medicare. Medicare, yeah. 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 So Medicare, uh, you are exactly right that when that legislation was passed in 2003, interesting, that legislation creating Medicare Part D, which provides prescription drug coverage to the elderly, was passed in the same year that they initially created this legislation, you know, introducing the prospect of importation. But in that legislation that created Part D, there was a clause that said the government is prohibited from negotiating drug prices. Uh, for Medicare Part D drugs. And that provision has has held all these years until, uh, you know, recent legislation was passed that created this, 
kind of um, very small incremental but kind of monumental change that said Medicare yeah. is going to begin, you know, negotiating with like 10 of the highest kind of expenditure drugs in Medicare this year and and then kind of increase that to another 10 next year. And I think it'll ultimately be 50 drugs. So, you know, there yeah. are, I think it reflects this idea like people are trying to solve this problem on a number of different fronts and they're just not sure uh, you know, what the best path forward is. And there's also great conflict um, over what the best path forward is to rein in Absolutely. high drug prices. Well, the healthcare economy is one of the most bastardized economies I've ever seen, where your fiercest mm-hmm. competitor can be your best, you know, ally. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's just, it's just kind of strange. It's a, it runs counter to a lot of business principles that you learn in, in college or, or, you know, otherwise. It, it, I, I, it is a unique industry and very, you know, the institutions that we have there are just, you don't see those institutions in other markets. Uh, I mean, PBMs no, and uh, I mean, all the all the, and then the, the level of regulation, right? There's there's a lot of yeah, regulation and that makes it difficult, uh, you know, to kind of uh, for kind of normal people to understand and follow all these different arguments. So it's important for people to try to figure this out. No doubt. Now, I'm going to love ch- uh, being able to check back with you on this issue as it kind of goes through the maturation process here to see where we end up and, and what direction we're going. And thank you so much for joining us this morning. We appreciate your time and your insight. Okay, well, thank, thanks. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Mary Olson, Tulane economist and healthcare policy expert. We'll be right back, folks. Stay with us. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Welcome back, folks. Got a number of texts about, um, you know, allowing American consumers to buy direct from Canada. Most states do allow that, and you can do that. Uh, this was a case where the state of Florida and a lot of the benefits that they provide uh, through their state-sponsored programs had a desire to buy drugs from 
candidate which is not have which had not been previously approved and requires approval from the FDA as uh, Mary Olson pointed out it's going to be interesting to see where this goes because this kind of runs a little bit contrary to a lot of what's happening with the pharmacy benefit managers and the setting of prices the negotiation of discounts and rebates and all of this other stuff Canada seems to have figured out a way to buy these drugs at much lower prices than we pay for in the United States. I'm familiar with someone uh, with a particular drug that they're taking, 90-day supply costing roughly $2,200 here in the United States. In Canada, 345 I mean, huge savings. And there uh, are a lot of folks that are actually buying their drugs through Canadian pharmacies today. The real question is going to be, as was pointed out by Mary Olson as well, Canada is not necessarily in favor of this. They are to a certain extent that individual consumers is one thing when you have these big bulk purchases at something else. So it's going to be interesting to see, and we'll follow up with Ms. Olson in the future as to where this is ultimately headed. We'll be right back. Stay with us. When we come back, folks, after the top of the news break, we'll visit with the president and CEO of GNO Inc., Michael Heck. And the back half of that hour, we'll uh, visit with James Martin, CEO of Gulfwind Technology. And in the 12 o'clock hour, Guy Williams joins us, president of Gulf Coast Bank and Trust. And we'll talk about a number of economic issues, the job report, insurance cost problem, government funding, a short window there, and other topics as well. So stay with us. We will be right back after the top of the news break. This is Newell on WWL. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 